Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you today as we approach this text of Philippians chapter 4. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to cultivate the mind of Christ. That we would, Lord, learn what it means to depend on you for what you have for us today, Lord. That we would be a church that can, Lord, have joy in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trial, in the middle even of tribulation, Lord. And that maybe as we've waken up with the anxious mind, that we would exchange that for the mind of Christ today. In Jesus' name, we pray for Downey, Calvary Chapel, that you would, Lord, speak to them. We pray for a live Christian fellowship, that you would minister to the body of Christ there as well. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. So we see here that Paul is speaking to us as a church, and the central theme really of this chapter, or the portion of this text, is really to encourage them to have this mind of Christ that he's speaking about. And he's telling us, you know what, there are some of us that can be trapped, that can be enslaved, that can be in bondage to an anxious mind. And we see it in a world all around us that we are moving, filled with a mind of anxiety. But the question today is, how can we break that? How can I have the peace of God today? By cultivating a Christian mind, by consecrating your mind today and saying, my mind is going to be fully satisfied in the Lord. And I want to tell you this morning that we cannot have the mind of Christ if our mind is already preoccupied with many other things. You may have said already, you know what, well, I've given the Lord my heart, but does He have your mind? It's important to ask the question, does the Lord have my mind? Why is this so important? Because we are a product of our thoughts. That's what we are. And today we must say, Lord, I want to give you my mind because the cure to worry, the cure to a mind that cannot rest, the secret to the victory over an anxious mind is prayer. We're going to learn. Prayer. Prayer gives you peace. Prayer allows your mind to really fellowship with the Lord. And this is how we overcome worry. This is how we overcome fear. This is how we overcome this desperate place on where our minds and our thoughts are roaming by trusting in God through prayer. In fact, the more that you pray, the less that you worry. The more that you pray, the less that you are in this state of being anxious. You see, sometimes we grow, we can grow spiritually because our mind is in the wrong place. Our mind is in what the voices of this world is saying instead of what the Word of God is saying. Therefore, our mind is not focused on the voice of God. And I want to encourage you, even before we go into verse 1, by letting you know, by telling you that you cannot let the enemy manipulate your thoughts. You see, this is exactly what the enemy wants to do with the time that we're living in, is to manipulate the thoughts of the world and even the church. In fact, there is times where the church walks around defeated in fear, scared, instead of living the victorious Christian life that God has called us to live. And the reason why we become so scared in times like this is because we, we are scared, we worry because we're scared of not being in control. We love to be in control. <laughs> But God has put us in a position when we are not in control, where He is in control. 
Worry is the opposite of faith and it doesn't honor the heart of God. And we're going to see here now that, that we ought not to doubt in the moment of darkness what God has told us in the light. In 1 Peter 5, chapter 6, he says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He shall exalt you in due time as you cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. That means that we are invited to go to the Lord we were invited to cast our cares, to go to God, to let go and let God take control. To release this earthly burden in which we are living in today to a heavenly power. And that heavenly power, His name is Jesus. Because anything else that you do is going to rob you of peace and of joy and of comfort. And it was George Mueller, who was known for his faith, that said this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. See, where is your faith today? Because your faith is needed today. Your faith opens the door to the peace of God and to the promises of God and His Word. And we ought to walk with this mindset. As he finished telling the church in Philippi in the previous chapter, chapter 3, where he said, you are citizens of heaven. You think about it, if I walk around, if we walk around, if we live with a mind that says, I am a citizen of heaven, I am a, a representative of the citizenship of heaven in Jesus Christ, I can have the peace of God knowing that I have a personal relationship with the God of peace. And this is important here, because the more you think about heaven, the more your thoughts are governed by heaven, it changes the way that you live here on earth. And when we get this, everything else changes in life. You see here in, in, first, in Philippians chapter 4, from verse 1 through 9, he's going to tell us and speak to us regarding three types of encouragement. Number, number, the first encouragement, number 1, from verses 1 through 5, the encouragement is to rejoice in the Lord. And I, and I pray that you would even write this down, take note, rejoice in the Lord. That is the number one encouragement that we are going to receive today, this morning. But then from verses 6 through 7, he tells them, in everything by prayer. What an encouragement. An encouragement for the church to pray. In everything by prayer. And then from verse 8 and 9, he says, I want to encourage you also to purify your mind. To purify your mind. Let's read verse 1. Therefore, therefore what? Having said that we are citizens of heaven. Having said that one day our bodies are going to be turned and transformed into a glorious body, that we have a hope of heaven to look forward to, that this is not now the end of it, that we know the end of the story, and it's that we are citizens of heaven. Having been said that, he says, my beloved and longed for brethren. Look at this encouragement that he tells them now to stand fast. My beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord beloved. Now this is amazing here. Because Paul here is approaching the church of Philippi with a pastoral heart, a shepherd's heart, where he's fully invested in them. And he says here, my longed for brethren. He starts off with that. You see, in the original meaning of longed for brethren, it speaks or refers to a deep separation from loved ones. <laughs> Isn't that how we feel today? Maybe a deep separation from those that we are so commonly fellowshipping with at church. 
Oh, long for, brethren, I wish to see you. I wish to spend time with you. And he calls him now, my joy. Not only does he call him my joy, but he also calls him my crown. Now, this is important for us to know because my joy here, he's speaking from a person that is writing from prison. Notice that. He's speaking from a Christian that's being persecuted to a church that's being persecuted. This is a broken man ministering to broken people as well. And he calls them my joy. Why is that important? Because he didn't receive his joy from circumstances. He received his joy from other fellow believers. Do you notice that's why he calls them that? My joy. You are my joy. You, you are what I love. And then he calls them another word. He says my crown. Paul here speaks about an athlete's reward. He speaks about now the athlete's head wreath crown as of a trophy of an athlete, a symbol of winning a competition, a symbol of success. Now my crown, a symbol of a fruitful life. He says, you are my trophy. You are my pride. You are my joy. They were a symbol of his efforts now, of his love and of his dedication. He is pouring out his heart to this church here. You are my joy. I, I have joy, not in circumstances, but in the fellow believers. You are my crown. I have, I have poured out my heart and my life over to you. And he encourages them here with this word. It says, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast is important. Stand fast is necessary today. In fact, if there was ever a time where the church needed to stand fast, it was today. Because stand fast speaks about now, a, 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 describes a soldier standing at his post. It's a military command and it uses a dominant expression now from verses 1 through 9. He speaks this way as an order. He's saying, soldier, stand your ground. Soldier, stand at your post. Stand your ground, stand secure, stand true. And he says, in the Lord. And that's the key here. That in order for us to stand true, stand secure, stand our ground, in order for us to stand at our post as Christians after receive those orders from the Lord is to be standing in the Lord. Because our strength comes from the Lord. See, you're not standing at the post of what the world has to say. You're standing at the post of what the Word of God is saying and you're standing right on that authority. And that's so comforting for us because now he gives us an encouragement in verse 2. And it says, I implore now Eodia and I implore Sintiq to be of the same mind again here in the Lord. He's reminding the church here that you are in the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Therefore, stand your ground. Therefore, stand fast, stand secure. Now he encourages them, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Now is the time for unity. And either the Holy Spirit does not work outside of unity in the church. In fact, if we pray and we're asking God for a revival, it's the subject matter of, of what everyone wants to speak about today. If we want to see revival, the church has to be united in prayer. And he says here, I want you to settle your disagreement. I, I beg you now to be of the same mind in the Lord. I want you to have harmony for spiritual stability and integrity of the church now. Be of the same mind. And what does he tell him? Because you belong to the Lord, you're, you're called to advocate for unity. Because you belong to the Lord, there is no room for division right now. 
Because you belong to the Lord, you have to settle your disagreement and be more united than ever because God wants to minister to His church. God wants to use His church to stand fast in the Lord. We are called to, be st to stand fast in the Lord today. To be of the same mind in the Lord because we belong to Him. And what does he say now in verse 3? And I urge you also, true companion. We don't know who specifically this companion is, but we know that he's speaking to someone that did ministry with him. Companion means someone that would carry the load of ministry together. And he says, I urge you also, that person that carried the load of ministry that was pu pulling that load with me, Paul is saying, I urge you now to help or to support now, to assist by holding together these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, what an amazing encouragement we receive in only three verses. He encourages us, number one, to stand fast in verse one. He encourages us, number two, in verse two, to unity. And he encourages us, number three, to serve. These are the times where the church should be encouraged to, number one, stand fast, to be united, and to serve. We ought to be serving through suffering as well. And it says, I implore you, I beg you, companion, that you would assist these women who've worked hard in the gospel for the sake of the gospel with Clement, whose names are written in the book of life. <laughs> There's nothing more comforting than to know where your name is written in the book of life. There are times in our lives where we're going through suffering that we are concerned about if our name is written here on earth instead of if it's written in heaven. And we want to be recognized by man instead of saying, Lord, I don't care if my name is never written anywhere here on earth as long as it's written in heaven because I'm going to continue to serve you regardless of the season. And that's exactly what he's telling them. And then here comes the next encouragement in verse 4. This is filled with encouragement to stand fast for unity, to serve the Lord. But verse 4, rejoice, here it goes, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. <laughs> you see, why does he saying rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say again, because they needed to hear it. <laughs> But what does it mean? How is his joy resting on the Lord right now? How is it that we see the joy now of Paul in the moment of suffering that he's able to encourage the church? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, rest, have a full joy in the Lord. Now the word in the Lord here is specifically more important because we start to see that in the Lord is the sphere now, is the place where all believers, where our joy exists. Our joy does not exist anywhere outside of in the Lord. And there are times where we look for joy, where we are searching for joy, but it's nowhere else but found in the Lord. That's where it's at, where we say we can rejoice in the Lord. And we're rejoicing in the Lord because we know that the Lord is in control. We're rejoicing in the Lord because we know He's sovereign. We're rejoicing in the Lord because we're looking at every situation through the lens of the Lord is in control and the Lord knows. Think about how the situations in the world around us can rob us of our joy. But when we get our eyes back on in the Lord, the Lord knows. The Lord is sovereign. 
The Lord is in control. The Lord is doing something that maybe I don't know, and that's okay. And therefore, I can rejoice in the Lord because He's in control. That's exactly what He's telling them. In every season, again, I say rejoice. We need to hear this. That the Lord is choosing for us a season that maybe we would have never chosen for ourselves. But because He is in control, because He's almighty, because He is sovereign, we can rejoice in that. Lord, we don't know what's taking place. There are difficult seasons happening, even in the most difficult seasons. I am reminded to have joy in the fact that I know that the Lord is in control. In the fact that maybe I don't know the answers. But I know one thing, I'm in the Lord. And because of that, I can have joy and peace. And my joy and peace is not based off my circumstance. In fact, my joy and my peace, as Paul has encouraged us and reminded us, our joy and peace is, is based off our relationship with God. Our joy is a choice. Because it's fully fixed on our devotion with the Lord. Our joy is a choice because we are now spending time in the Lord. You want to have joy? Then spend time in the Lord. You want your life and your home and your spiritual walk to be one of joy? Then we have to open the Bible and spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. That's where the joy begins in the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill said this, Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. The more joy you have in the Lord, the less entertainment you need. And today, we're so in love with entertainment that it robs us of our joy. And that's exactly why we have to thank the Lord because He has stripped us of everything so that we can focus on the Lord only. And we can start to realize that God uses these present uh, trials and tribulations for future glory to shape our character. And on the day of difficulty, when, when, when the day of suffering comes, we can have joy and we can have peace in the middle of suffering. What does he encourage the church in Romans chapter 12, verse 12? Rejoicing in what? In hope. I can have joy because I have hope. Patient in tribulation. Continually, steadfastly in prayer. You see this attitude that Paul is looking for the church to cultivate? The mind of Christ? And that happens when we have a joy in the Lord, when we're rejoicing in hope, when we're patient in every tribulation, and we're steadfast, we are immovable in the area of prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, what did we hear? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is something that we need to remember today. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord, our strength, even in our Christian service. Even in our day-to-day -day service to the Lord, it is the joy of the Lord that gives us strength to continue to go on. Verse 5, let's read it. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, he wants us here, and he's encouraging us here as a church to have an attitude now, not only of joy, but an attitude of gentleness. What does the attitude of gentleness look like that as he's describing here? He said, I want you to be considerate. I want you to be generous. And all you do, let it be known to others, your gentleness, that you would have a reputation of selflessness, of patience, and not of anxiety. Do you know that the anxious mind does not let you have joy? In fact, the anxious mind doesn't let you be gentle. The anxious mind is always moving you to be in a rush, and you cannot love anyone when you're in a rush. 
It's, important, it's impossible to be gentle and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit when you're in a rush, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're fearful. And he's saying here, let your gentleness, what does it say? Be known to all men. He wants them to be recognized by the generosity, by the kindness, by the consideration when he's thinking about other people in the middle of trial, in the middle of suffering. He's saying, let it not be anxiety, let it be gentleness. For what reason though? Because the Lord is at hand. Well, that is an important encouragement for us. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming soon. That is my near focus. That is my motivation that we can honor God. We can honor God with our life when you consider others with the accountability of knowing the Lord is coming soon. Just think about that. When we live with the awareness that Jesus will soon return, it makes us more easy now. It makes it more easy for us not only to rejoice, but it makes it now for us, and it gives us an opportunity now to be in the Lord and have a gentleness to other people, and we are now held accountable to that because the Lord is at hand. Well, what did the Lord say? When you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws near. We know today that the Lord is at hand. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of the book. He is coming quickly. The Lord is at hand. You see, when you hear the news, when, you, when we see these things that are taking place even in our world today, there's one thing that we can remember. I can rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is at hand. I can rejoice in the Lord because He is in control, because He is behind it all, and because He does what's best for His children. In James chapter 5, verse 7, he says this, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently. And today we're called to wait patiently until He receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are looking at our spiritual walk. We're looking at the world around us, understanding and knowing that the Lord is at hand. And when we realize that, it changes the way we live. We can have joy. Now he moves on from verse 6 and 7 and he says in everything by prayer. But before he tells us that, he exhorts us to be anxious, to be worried about nothing. You see, this is amazing here because he's going to usher in peace. And this is what we all need. We need peace today. And maybe we, you've been wrestling with things throughout the last few weeks, wrestling with thoughts. Your mind is anxious, and now the Lord is wanting to usher this peace. But peace happens first by prayer, by petition, by praise, and then you get peace. <laughs> it's amazing how he describes it. He says prayer, petition, praise, peace. Do you see how, why it's so important that we as Christians be in prayer? He says here, be anxious, verse 6, for nothing. Don't worry about nothing. Don't be focused on those things because what anxiety does, it distracts you, it dominates your mind, it consumes your mind, it makes you wrestle with these thoughts that are not glorifying the Lord. And he says, don't be anxious for anything. Notice that in verse 6, this is a command. 
But just like as we're commanded by the Lord, we're also now enabled by the Lord. Just the same way that He commands us to not be anxious, He also enables us to not be anxious through these resources, these tools that are provided to us in the very number one resource in our spiritual arsenal to not worry or the cure or the secret to victory when it comes to worry is prayer. Notice that how he says it. In the New Living Translation, he reads, it reads this way, Do not worry about anything. Instead, about pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And here it is, the praise. And thank Him for all that He has done. You know that our fear and our worry indicate one thing in our life? They indicate a lack of trust in God's wisdom and in God's sovereignty and in God's power. But when we remember God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's power, we are moved to trust Him. We no longer are in the anxious mind. That's why He keeps saying in the Lord. Because He's reminding us who is in control today. But let, let's continue reading because He says here, but in everything, not in some things, not on just some matters, but in everything, He says, by prayer and supplication. Prayer is fellowship with God. Supplication means petition. Now, notice this. He says the prayer, the supplication, but he gives us here another attitude, and it's the attitude of thanksgiving. So he says, I want you to now foster an attitude of joy. I want you to foster an attitude and cultivate an attitude now of gentleness, but also one of prayer and one of thanksgiving. What kind of attitude do you have when it comes to prayer? In fact, I'd like to ask you this. If everyone in the church prayed the way you pray, what kind of church would it be? Would it be a praying church? Because today, in today's times, we must be praying. Everyone says that they want to see a revival, but we don't say we, don't say we want to see prayer. And this is exactly what ushers in the peace of God and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because gratitude accompanies all true prayer. You must always include thanksgiving in prayer because that's exactly what's going to bring in the peace of God. Let requests be known to God. Handle every situation by prayer, by communication, by supplication, by requests, by petition, but also have thanksgiving. You know what Thanksgiving allows you to do? It allows you to slow down. And it allows your heart to begin to worship. Thanksgiving is one of the most pure forms of worship. And what better way to worship the Lord than in our prayer when we quiet our hearts and say, Lord, this is my worship, my Thanksgiving. Oftentimes, if we have an anxious mind, you also probably also have a poor prayer life. Because in your prayer life, in your secret closet, in that secret place, that's when the Lord starts to renew the mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, what does he say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you now offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But what does he tell them then? They would renew the mind. Because that's where the battleground to every spiritual victory begins in the mind. And that's, it's so important for us to trust the Lord through prayer. 
That he would provide deliverance of worry, deliverance of burdens. Because, and, and I want to remind you also that, that prayer doesn't change necessarily your circumstance. But it does change your heart. There are times we want to come out of prayer and want a different circumstance. And the Lord said, no, the reason why I put you in this circumstance and then I brought you to prayer is so that I can change your heart. The church is called to pray. The church is called to be a house of prayer. The Lord said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He didn't necessarily say a house of worship or fellowship. He identified his house to be a house now of prayer. And in every difficulty, throughout every difficulty in prayer, we start to realize that God has a purpose. But I pray today that we wouldn't miss out on the purpose that God has in our circumstance today, but that we would take it into prayer. Notice verse 7, he says this, Let your prayer be known to God, but then he ushers in and the peace of God. It's important that we realize there in verse 7, because in verse 7 he talks about the peace of God, and then in verse 9 he talks about the God of peace. <laughs> you want the peace of God. The peace of God is maintained. The peace of God is cultivated. The peace of God wins over the anxious mind in prayer and supplication. The peace of God wins over in thanksgiving. And the peace of God. Notice how it talked about prayer before it talked about the peace of God. Because that's exactly where the peace of God begins in prayer. And it says, in the peace of God which sur surpasses all understanding. Well, this is so comforting. Because it says in the peace of God that goes beyond experience, that goes beyond insight, the peace of God that goes beyond intellect, that goes beyond situation, that goes beyond your personal analysis of things, the peace of God that goes beyond of all of that. What is it going to do? It surpasses understanding. It's going to guard your heart and your mind. If there is something that we need to be guarding today is our heart and our mind, church. And I want to encourage you from wherever you're listening, is your heart and is your mind guarded? Or is it opened? The Bible tells us that we ought to take every thought and we ought to make that thought captive to the obedience of the truth of the Lord. Notice how in verse 7, he tells us this, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is what happens. When we're going through situations and, 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 and to the non-believer possibly, to the person that's not spiritually minded, they don't understand why you have peace today with everything that is taking place. <laughs> but the reason that I have peace is because I know who's in charge because I spent time in prayer and my life is filled with thanksgiving even through the time of trial and tribulation. Notice this, in the peace of God will guard. That word guard means the peace of God is going to watch over is going to keep watch over your heart and over your mind. That word guard is also a military term. And it speaks of this. The peace of God is going to build a garrison now uh, around now the mind and the heart to protect it and to cover it and to cover the whole inner man. The heart and the mind covering the whole inner man from what? From doubt? Protecting and covering the mind from distress? from anxiety through Christ Jesus, through the power of Jesus Christ, we can have comfort and peace and hope. But it guards your mind, it guards your heart also from this. From any external 
and secular influences. It guards your mind from anything from outside that can corrupt and invade the mind. And it keeps the mind focused on the truth of God. You know, the problem is that we allow our mind to be invaded by secular influences. We allow our heart to be invaded now and corrupted by things outside now. Because we don't spend time in prayer. You see, we can tell him, Lord, I've given you my heart, but he needs your mind as well. And the only way to have that protection, the only way for that to take place is that we spend time in prayer. It has to be in prayer because we must have our mind and our heart protected. What you allow to come into your mind will soon start to grow in your heart as well. And it will rob you of peace. It builds anxiety. It builds worries here. But here what he's telling us is that he's building an unwavering confidence that God is able and willing to do what is best for his children. Therefore, I'm trusting in the Lord to guard my heart through Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the mind that's been in prayer that realizes that God has a purpose. That I, I might not know, but God has a purpose. And the peace of God is always and only followed by the presence of God. What is the presence of God? The Holy Spirit. To come and to comfort. In John chapter 14, verse 27, what did the Lord tell us? Jesus, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world does do I give to you. Lest your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let your heart not be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with comfort. Do you see how God is concerned about the peace in your life? And He doesn't give you a temporary peace. He doesn't give you a conditional peace. He doesn't give you a peace that is, that is anchored on circumstance. He gives you a different peace, a permanent peace, a peace that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to verse 8 and 9 because he's going to tell us how we can purify our mind. And he speaks about these virtues in which we are to focus and fix our thoughts on. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? <laughs> what is on your mind today? And these virtues, these qualities now, these God-given qualities, they seek to promote now growth to the Christian mind. This is not the anxious mind, but this is the mind that ought to be filled now with the things of the Lord. Either your mind will be filled with the mind of Christ or be filled and preoccupied by the anxious mind. And here he's going to tell us, finally, brethren, with that being said, finally, fill your mind with whatever things. And look at the list that he tells us. Finally, brethren, whatever things, here it's the first one, whatever things are true. Fill your mind on the truth. Do not fill your mind on lies. Do not fill your mind on deceit, on the lies of this world. In fact, anything that is true is found in God. Anything that is true is found in the Holy Spirit. Anything that is true is found in Christ. Anything that is true is found in the Word of God. And outside of that, we ought to not fill our mind with anything. Now, brethren, finally, whatever things are true, whatever's in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in the Word of God, whatever things are now noble. What does noble mean? Whatever is honorable. 
whatever is worthy of respect, whatever now is of awe or admiration and is sacred, whatever is not profane or foul, I want you to fill your mind with that as well. It's so easy for us to be able to be filled with things in this world because of sin. But he's saying, I don't want you to fill your mind with that. I want you to fill your mind with things that are noble, that are honorable and worthy of respect, that are worthy of admiration. Also, fill your mind with whatever things are just, whatever is right, whatever is in harmony with God's divine standard of holiness. Fill your mind with God's standard. Do not fill your mind with the world's standard. Fill your mind with God's standard. Whatever things, here it says, are pure now. What is he speaking about here? He's telling, I want you to fill your mind, church, of Philippians. And today, the church, we ought to fill our mind with whatever is holy, is sacred, is immaculate, is undefiled, that honors the Lord. Whatever things are pure. He goes on and he says this, whatever things are lovely. Someone, someone once said, everything that is lovely is what's not ugly. Whatever things are lovely, whatever thing is pleasing and kind and gracious, fill and meditate on these things. What are you meditating on today? Now let's keep reading. Whatever it says here, things are of good report. Whatever brings a good testimony. Whatever is regarded here. Right in the sight of God. Does it bring a good report? Does it bring a good testimony before the Lord? Whatever things are a good report. What does he tell us now? Think of these things. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think about the things that are morally excellent. Think about the things that praise God. Think about the things that are worthy of praise. And he uses a very important word here and he says meditate. Meditate. Why does this thing meditate? Because meditate is a word that means to evaluate, to ascertain. It means here the, the, the things that you ought to think about and dwell on the things in your mind that now build or promote Christian growth in the life of the believer. That you are not to fill your mind with things that are destructive, but you are to fill your mind now and meditate with things that are going to promote the mind of Christ. And I, I want to tell you today that there are no shortcuts to hiding the mind of Christ. There are times where we want to pray for a, maybe a few minutes or really rush through our devotional time. And, and that is not true meditation. You cannot have the mind of Christ that way. What do the psalmist tell us in Psalms 1 2? He says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He spends time in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. He's filling his mind and his life with the Word of God. Today it's important that we are filled with the mind of Christ because you cannot praise God with an anxious mind. We have to renew our mind from the evil habits of the world. We have to renew our mind from the, what, the, what the world is saying. In fact, it was Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, that said this, God will not manifest himself in the living room of your heart if you entertain the devil in the basement of your thoughts. 
Think about what you're entertaining in your thoughts. And that's why we have an anxious mind and heart oftentimes. You see, you cannot have the mind of Christ and it's impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of our time, month after month, and, and week after week, and day after day, sitting in front of maybe a television, or a phone, or a computer, to be now have the mind of Christ. In fact, you're going to be left anxious and worried. And today, it's sad to see that the church is more concerned about what the internet has to say, what the TV has to say, instead of what God has to say. Are you concerned with what God has to say? Because the fastest way of getting discouraged is by listening to the world. The, last, the fastest way of losing faith is by listening to the voices of the world. We must spend time in prayer so that we can usher in the presence of God. Because you will never find peace outside of the presence of God. Let's read this very last verse in verse 9 here. The things which you've learned. Look at what an example here Paul is. The things which you have learned. You've learned this. You've received this. You've heard this. And you saw in me. This is a man that has the mind of Christ. And he's living out the mind of Christ. He says, you want, the, you want to find the, the peace of God? You want the presence of God? Well, let me give you an example. You learned it from me. You heard it from me. You saw it from me. And I want you to do these things. And as, you, as long as you do these things, as long as you're meditating on the Word of God, and you're cultivating the attitude of joy, of thanksgiving now, of prayer, of unity then, the God of peace will be with you. What an amazing promise here in God's Word. Do these things. Practice these things. He preached and He gave an example and He says, and the God of peace will be with you. This is how you maintain the peace of God. By prayer and by meditation in His Word. And the God of peace will be with you. Do you notice how this is so important because we want the God of peace to be with us. We want the presence of God to be with us. Therefore, we have the mind of Christ. And not only do we have the mind of Christ, but it changes what we seek, what, where our attention is at. See, your attention is also where your mind is. Is your attention focused on all the right things today? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, it says, If then you will raise with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And look what it says. Not only seek, but also set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. What an amazing promise. That we not only ought to seek the things of above, but also set our minds on things above, so that when Christ appears, we also would appear with Him in glory, because we're fixed on the things of God. It's easy to be distracted today, to be afraid, to have an anxious mind instead of the mind of Christ. And that's exactly why we have to invest time. Invest time now. And saying, Lord, I want to make my mind, my heart, I want to make it your home. Because you are never in a safer place in life. In a, li in a place in life where you are most filled with peace when your heart and when your mind is His home. 
Have you given him your mind? You see, today everyone's telling us, well, you're, you're safe at home. You're safer at home. But you can be at home and still feel lost and alone. You can be at home and still be anxious and fearful. And the reason why Paul is telling us this is because he knew that they needed to learn to rejoice in the fact that God is in control. To rejoice in the fact that God is in control. You see, there was a story about a little young boy that was now going home and it started to get late and, and he got lost. <laughs> and this little boy got lost and it was late, it was starting to rain, it was very windy and, and it made him more scared and more afraid now of his situation. But this little boy, what he did, he started to yell for help, but nobody was there to hear him or to answer or to come to his rescue at all. And he knew that he was lost at that point. He knew that he was in trouble. And he folded his little hands and he started to curl up behind it in a dark alley. And a police officer was walking by and he found that little boy. And he said, little boy, are, are you okay? Are you lost? He said, I'm lost, sir. I don't know where I should go. I'm lost, officer. And he says, well, you, do you know your phone number? And he says, no, I, I don't know my phone number. He says, do you know your address so I can take you and give you a ride home? He says, no, I, I don't know my address. So the police officer, they're not knowing what to do. He says, well, I'm going to provide him different locations in our small town. And maybe if he knows where those things are at, then I can take him home. So he tells him, little boy, do you know where the, the school is at in the city? The, the only main school in the city? He says, no, I don't know where that's at. <laughs> He says, do you know where the post office is at? I can take you there. And then maybe from there we can find your home. He says, no, I don't know where the post office is at. And he finally, after trying multiple locations, the police officer saw out in the distance a steeple from a church. And on that steeple was a cross. And he said, little boy, do you know where that's at? Pointing at the cross. Yes, do you know where that's at, little boy? And he says, yes, lead me to the cross. Take me to the cross and I'll find my way home. Isn't that what we need today? To be led to the cross and we will find our way home in the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray as the worship team comes forward right now because God not only is he offering us now the peace of God, but also he's offering us to know the God of peace. Do you know the God of peace today? Do you understand who the God of peace is? In fact, Jesus died so that you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus died so that we can have peace even in the difficult situations in life and that we don't have to have panic. In fact, we can exchange panic for peace. We can exchange worry for our worship and for our thanksgiving. We can exchange a moment of crisis for a moment of comfort. But it's only when we go to the cross. That's why He went to the cross. So that me and you can have peace and it can be forever. Your peace is not going to be found in a government. It's not going to be found in a person, in a plan, in a strategy, in whatever you think it is. And maybe you're at home right now, and there's somebody there that is struggling with peace, who's struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, that doesn't want to leave the house and is scared. And yes, taking every precautionary measure now and trying everything, but nothing works because the number one thing that is really missing is the peace of God. But I want to tell you something today. You cannot have the peace of God until you first know the God of peace. Do you know the God of peace? Your greatest peace was already met. 
And it was meant when we were lost, afraid, scared, alone. And the Lord said, look at the cross. Because that's where you're going to find peace. Look to Jesus because that's where you're going to find peace. Lead me to the cross. Take me to the cross. I'll find my way home there. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, because today we know that regardless of the situation that we're in, Lord, we can have your peace. And I pray, Lord, right now, by the power of your spirit, that you let us enter into the place of prayer, the, the place of surrender. Because there is no, nothing more peaceful than when we surrender and we stop wrestling and we stop fighting and we say, Lord, I want your peace. See, there was a separation between us and God. That separation was because of sin. Our sin separated us from God. But his son, Jesus Christ, made a way for peace. That God loved us. He loved the world. That he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, so that you can know the God of peace and experience the peace of God. If today, maybe you're at home, and you say, I want that peace. I want, I'm missing that peace. I have been missing that peace. I've been missing that peace. I've been trying everything. It's not working. I see that my family members, maybe they have peace. Or maybe you're tuning in. You haven't tuned in for a while. And you're struggling with peace right now. And you're saying, you know what? I need the peace of God. I need to come back. I've been lost now. But I need to go back to the cross so I can find my safest place. And that is where Christ is at. And I want to encourage you and I want to invite you right now to pray. That you would invite the Lord to come into your heart right there in your living room, right there in your home. You say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. So why don't you pray this prayer with me? Asking Lord to come into your heart so that you can experience His peace. And why don't you pray this, Lord Jesus. I repent of my sin. I choose to follow you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood. I ask now, Lord, that you would take anxiety away from me. That you would take fear away from me. That you would take the emptiness away from me and that you replace it with hope. Write my name in the book of life. And Lord, I want to know the God of peace so that I can experience the peace of God. I choose to follow you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We want to welcome you to the family of Christ. If you pray that prayer right now and let you know that God loves you and that he wants you to experience now the peace of God as you know the God of peace. God bless you. We love you and we're praying for you.